0: From the Fancy Lady Cowgirl Headquarters, welcome to the Cowgirl Problems podcast. This podcast is dedicated to everyone who embodies the cowgirl or cowboy spirit, regardless of what you wear or where you live. The guests on this show are a little fancy, a little ranchy, and they all have a kick-ass story to tell. I'm your host, Courtney DeHoff. Join me for the ride. Well, welcome back to the Count Girl Problems podcast. It's a new year, a new season. Let's be honest, I don't even have seasons on this podcast. It's just <laughs> whenever I have time to do them, but I was really eager to get back into them in 2022, and I think, I know. I have the very perfect guest for my very first podcast back of 2022. I'm so excited. My first Olympian, which is very cool, uh, a high-performance coach. I would go as far to even say a cowgirl, a fancy lady cowgirl, Paige Lawrence champion is joining me. Paige,
1: hello. Gosh, I'm so honored to be the first out in 2022. I had no idea. I know. No pressure, right? <laughs> I'm
0: sweating now. Thanks. Yeah. You're going to be great. You're going to be great. So I, I reached out to Paige and I was very upfront. I was like, look, I've been stalking you for a while. <laughs> via Lindsay Branquino. Anybody that Lindsay's friends with, I am pretty sure I need to be friends with, but you have such a cool story. And I'm so excited to just introduce my listeners uh, to, to you and, and all the things that you do. So Paige, I, we got to go back like to the beginning because obviously you have this Im- amazing resume, <laughs> Olympian. Like if I were you, do you just go to the grocery store and just like make eye contact with strangers and go, I'm an Olympian because I'm was-
1: <laughs> no. People have asked me that before, and the answer is no. Like, do you walk to the grocery store and lock eyes with a stranger and be like, I have a great podcast. You check it out.
0: <laughs> no, because a <laughs> podcast is not nearly as cool as being an Olympian, but I digress. Paige, <laughs> let's start kind of from the beginning. Like, what, uh, what was your background and your story like? Uh, I did some research and was reading on you. I understand that you come from sort of the rodeo cowgirl world. So just tell me a little bit about growing up uh, in Canada, what it was like.
1: Sure, I could take this answer a million different ways. If I don't answer it the way you want, like, correct me. But I, I grew up on a ranch, born and raised on a ranch outside of a really small town in, in Canada. I think, like, the town has, like, 200 people. So there's more horses on my ranch than people in my town. Um, I, my dad has a rodeo company up there, amateur rodeo, subcontracts at pro rodeos with his um, bucking horses. And so I grew up going to rodeos when I was younger. Like my biggest aspiration in life was to be a barrel racer. Um, (laughs) And that was kind of like it really. I skated because there's nothing else to do in the long winters up in Canada. And I loved skating. Um, And I got to kind of this point in my life, I guess, probably around nine years old when I got a barrel horse and was like, in my mind, going to start working on my dream and that summer I ended up going to a figure skating camp in the summer because my older brother was going to a hockey camp and I loved it and it just like I realized you know in my small town I was one of the best skaters which didn't take anything (laughs) and I went to this camp and there was tons of people that were better than me like girls that were younger than me that were better than me and it just like lit this competitive fire in me, and I worked. So I started working so hard, and I loved working with coaches that knew more than my coaches did, and after those, I guess that week, um, we came back, and my parents asked me if I was, like, wanted to do more of that figure skating, and it kind of led me down this path of, of starting to skate in a neighboring town with a, a much better coach, and it got to the point that you know, a year later, I had to choose between bra racing and figure skating. And my little 10 year old self was like, figure skating, like, I love it. And, uh, you know, from that point on, it was just all in on the skating. Oh, my gosh.
0: That is so. It just what a neat story. And you know, I think your little ten-year-old self obviously made the right decision because it clearly, <laughs> it clearly worked out. And you know, rodeo is such an incredible sport that's so close to so many of us. But like rodeo, you know, you can sustain that a little longer probably than you can a figure. Yeah. So you can always go back and be a barrel <laughs> racer. Like I have, there. You've got plenty of time, my
1: friend. <laughs> that's what my parents said at the time too. I I, I think they were really just like. You know, wanting me to have the the op- options to choose whatever my, my heart wanted, and that did comfort me. I I don't think that I will go back and pursue my barrel racing my barrel racing dreams now as an adult. I'm happy to watch from the stands. (laughs) (laughs) I completely
0: understand that. I completely understand that. Okay, so Paige, like at what point? So you 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 decide you choose figure skating. You really love this. You're obviously incredibly competitive. Like at what point did it transition from I want to be really, really great at this to, oh no, we're gonna take this even further. I want to be an Olympian. Like (laughs) I want to be one of the best in the world. What at what point did that transition begin?
1: it's really kind of, I would say like a a story of fate, as corny as that sounds, because that small town that I started going to when I was nine, and that coach that was, you know, better than the one I had previously, that's the coach that ended up taking me to the Olympics, like 15, 16 years later, Um, and she was no Olympic coach by any means, Um, and really, I just kind of, became committed to getting better. So that little, that little younger version of myself never had Olympic dreams because I was not a very talented figure skater. I was just a very stubborn and hardworking figure skater. So it was all about just getting to the next level and the next level. Um, when I was 15, my coach asked me if I would skate pairs with a boy in my club. His name was Rudy. I said, hell no, I don't <laughs> want to skate pairs. I'm independent. You're skating with a boy, like not into it. But she convinced me. And um that was the guy that I ended up going to the Olympics with. The three of us had no idea what we were doing. We literally started watching VHS tapes of figure skating. We taught ourselves everything that we knew. Our my coach had never coached pairs before. Um, And again, we just kept getting like hungry for that next level. And I would say it was about three years later. Maybe two. Um, it was around twenty two thousand and eight, so it was like two years before the twenty ten Olympics, and we were just starting out on the junior international t- scene. And that was when we were like, you know what, we could do this. Like, we got six years till the Olympics that we'd probably be primed for. Um, I think, I think suddenly, like the Olympics isn't like a dream goal; it's an actual attainable goal, and. And that was when we really started to kind of commit ourselves to that 2014 idea of competing at the Olympics. And from then on, it was really just the person breaking that down into small attainable steps and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, we made the Olympics. Mm, Oh my gosh,
0: that is such a neat story. I I have so many questions. I have so many things (laughs) I want to talk about. I love, I do want to point out small attainable steps. And I think that that is so pertinent. With anything, any dream that any of us have, I'm one of those people. I have big dreams for like fancy lady cowgirl and what I'm doing with my business, and I get so overwhelmed that I'm like, well, that it's just. But I think small attainable steps is how I've gotten to where I have, you know, I am and what I'm doing. And I think you just like you're such a testament to the fact that you didn't have the famous Olympic coach, you didn't want to skate pairs, you were a little, you know, <laughs> cowgirl from uh, a small town, and and you did it. I, I have to ask this sort of mentality of like, why not? This mentality of like, I think, why couldn't it be us? How did your upbringing like within the Western world, that sort of rodeo background, do you think that that really played a big role in sort of just your, your grittiness, your determination? You're like, why the hell not? Let's do it. I'm going to be
1: the best there is. Yeah, absolutely. It did. I think I had the best parents in the world who, one, helped me to foster these like big dreams and these big ideas because they never dim them in the moment. Um, and coupled with that, they held me accountable to those big dreams. They're like, great, if you want to do it, let's do it, but you're gonna have to work hard for it. And you know, it's that like you're out chasing horses in the middle of the field and you get bucked off and like dad's like, well get back on. I'm like I don't care, there's a job to do. And that really helped in the sporting world because you get knocked down more times than not. And And the plan never works out like you think it's going to work out. But there's no room for quitting. There's no room for giving up on yourself. There's no room for being lazy. Um, It's really just a testament to that same attitude that I think that ranchers, cowboys and cowgirls have in their lives daily that helped me to show up on the ice, committed to being my best and, and really trying to live up to my own standards and my own values. And when I didn't, I had my parents there behind me being like, no, (laughs) you said you were doing this, do it better. (laughs) Uh, I love that. That's, you know, what a, it is such a special,
0: it's such a special culture to be raised in. And even if you're not raised in it, it's such a special culture to sort of step into and be a part of this like cowboy world. And in that mentality, Um, you know, I watched, it wasn't your Olympics performance, but I think I don't know. You ended up, you were like in the lead when they came to the interview. But what I loved is you and Rudy were on the ice, like maybe a world champion It was like 2014. I don't know. It was worlds. Yes. And the commentator, as you two skated onto the ice, she said, quote, there are not two nicer people on the planet or better representatives for Canada. And so, <laughs> and I just, what I immediately thought was like, oh, that's the cowgirl in her. Like that's the like Western, you know, the, the humble, the polite, and you could just see you got, it just, you could tell by the look on your faces. You were just like, you were honestly, genuinely happy to be there. And then, you know, they're like, they're in first, whatever. And you were so like humble and you're, you know, saying hello to your family. And I was like, oh gosh, that's like, that is, you know, that's the, the Western culture. I think you could sort of almost for me, at least, I could sort of just see it coming out of you, those values and just that goodness.
1: Thank you. I mean, I truly loved figure skating. It was my first love. I still dream about it <laughs> eight oh. years into retirement. Um, and so I think it really like it was such a joy for me to get to do what I love, despite it being one of the hardest things that I've ever or maybe the hardest thing that I've ever done. Um, and those moments were really just about me expressing gratitude and being in the moment for the for, for those big moments, because they're very rare. You know, we don't go to 100 rodeos a year. We went to like four or five international competitions. Mm-hmm. So it was really just about being in that moment and soaking it all up. Mm, so neat okay let let's talk about
0: Sochi so you
1: so off the
0: three of you go to Sochi you make the Olympics like I am I am a self-proclaimed Olympic junkie I don't care if it's summer or winter I watch every single event I mean I'm the person that has NBC on like throughout the entirety of the month the fact that we have two Olympics in like however many years is just I love so okay you go you go to Sochi the number one thing I always wonder, like there's so much press and there's so much hubbub and it's just such this like monumental thing. I watch these athletes and I'm like, well, first of all, I wouldn't have slept the night before. So I'd be shit the day of competition. I mean, I have so many questions. So how do you mentally, let's talk about that. You get on a plane, off you go to Sochi. I don't know if you hang, if you've been to, if you've been to Sochi, like if you hung out there often, but like this foreign land what is, how do you keep the mindset under control and everything from the nutrition to the workouts, to the, I guess, is it just small, small steps like you talked about? Cause it just seems like such a
1: overwhelming, monumental task. It is, but it's also the thing that we trained for, right? So, I mean, I lived in a very extreme bubble. Like everything was scheduled. Everything was just a checklist. Um, and we try to take as many variables into consideration before going to Sochi, right? So you're training in an atmosphere of trying to train like you think it will be when you arrive. That being said, we've traveled international for competitions. Frequently we had been to Russia twice before that, never Sochi. Um, So we're familiar with traveling and kind of like what we like to do once we arrive. We have kind of our travel schedule, um, everything from like Off days to training days over there. We were there a week before we competed. Um, And so everything is just very like organized. And you kind of like you step into that old comfort of this is what I do when I compete overseas. And so that was really nice to lean on some of those similarities. Um, And our approach was to create a plan before we left, to trust the plan once we got there, to focus on everything that was the same. Because at the end of the day, we're still figure skating. It's still on ice and the field of competitors is the competitors that we've competed against throughout our entire career, right? We've kind of moved up the ranks together for the most part. And so there's a lot of similarities. And for us, we tried to really narrow our focus into this is a competition. This is figure skating, like let's do the same thing as well as outside of the arena to enjoy the Olympic experience in small doses until we were finished. Once we were finished, it was like full blown Olympics, but until then, It was really trying to treat this as much as possible as like, let's do our job. Let's focus on the things that we can control. Let's focus on the things that we always do. And let's treat this as a competition while, you know, working through the screaming voice in your head that's like, this isn't just a competition, (laughs) it's the Olympics. Uh. Um, But that's why you train, right? I had an awesome sports performance coach, uh, mental performance coach, whatever you want to call it, sports psych, um, who was amazing. That also helped me a lot. This makes so much sense because
0: as a um, pedestrian watching the Olympics on TV, I sort of envision it's just like a free-for-all, like, wow, they're in Russia for the first time. And like, they're just like, t- you know, obviously, you, like, it's sort of like a duh. They've trained for this. You've traveled internationally. What, was there one thing about the Olympics that maybe, I don't know, surprised you? Was there one thing that you weren't prepared for or that was a little bit unexpected?
1: Um uh, Oh, lots. Yeah. Tons of things, right? It was, it was living in this bubble world for three weeks of the Olympics. And I think there's like a ton of different stories I could share, but I think one of the standout ones for me that really changed my Olympic experience happened on like, I think the first night there, because each of the different countries, they have their own, there, they have their own apartment complexes. So we all stayed in three different apartments in Canada. One of the floors was just committed to being the athlete's lounge because again we're there for three weeks. So this is a place of like TVs and Xboxes and snacks and beanbags and like entertainment, right? It was a place for us to all go and hang out and socialize. And it's my first night there and I go up to the athlete lounge and I'm surrounded by Olympians. And I had a huge moment of imposter syndrome. I'm like, who am I? to be here. I'm from Kennedy, Saskatchewan. Like I'm a pretty good skater, but I'm not an Olympian. Olympians are who I like grew up watching on TV. And my thoughts are spiraling and I'm a fairly outgoing person. For those of you who know me, um, you could agree. And for those of you who don't, take my word for it, I'm pretty outgoing. <laughs> and in, in this moment, I was not. I sat on like the side of a couch, and I was very shy. And I had to have a tough talk with myself to be like, you know what, just like get out there and talk to some people, Paige. Like just just go and say hi to somebody. So I walked over to I think like a table of people playing cards, sat down, and started having conversation with the guy beside me. And it was the most normal conversations ever, which was a standout moment to me. I was like, oh my gosh, I connected with this this kid who's probably like me and feeling unsure of himself and like he doesn't belong and i'm like gosh i'm really happy i did this there's people like me here and i went back to my room that night and i went on facebook cuz facebook was cool then i don't i don't even know if i had instagram then <laughs> and i was on facebook and i saw like a BuzzFeed article that was tagged in so i was scrolling through it and i saw the guy's face that i had just been talking to him. and i was like oh my gosh i know him so i start reading Come to find out, he's like a world champion speed skater. He's medaled at the Olympics before. (laughs) And I am feeling like the biggest idiot. Cause I'm like, I just talked to this guy. Like he was a normal person and clearly he's not, he's a superstar. And so the next day I saw him and I walked up to him and was like, slapped him on the shoulder. And I was like, why didn't you tell me you were so good? I'm embarrassed that I just talked to you. And he's looked at me and he goes, well, Paige, we're at the Olympics. We're all pretty good. and. It's such a simple statement, but for me, it was like a light bulb went off. I was like, oh, everyone here, people that won medals that are like the, the names that you know when you go to watch the Olympics, they're all just regular people like me. They like could have grown up in a small town, fell in love with a sport, decided to work really, really hard, overcame a lot of obstacles, and they're competing at the sport that they love too. And that changed everything for me because suddenly I saw myself as an Olympian, which I hadn't been able to do up until that point. And I saw all these people as people first rather than their names or their titles or their accomplishments. And what that did for me is allowed me to feel like I could fit in and I could show up as my authentic self. And for the rest of the games, I just tried to meet as many people as possible and hear their stories. And it opened me up to just like, live a vibrant three weeks at the Olympics rather than feeling, you know, shut off or, or, or isolated or like I didn't fit in. And so for me, that was a, a game changing moment at the Olympics. Sorry, that was a long story. <laughs> oh. But such a good story.
0: And I don't know about like everyone listening, but when you said I felt like an imposter, I had such imposter syndrome. I think for me personally, I took like, it, I took a, a breath like a sigh of relief because I'm like, wow, if Olympians (laughs) even feel that, you know, it's so common and we all have experiences of feeling like an imposter. You know, I built an entire brand, Fancy Lady Cowgirl, on the fact that I grew up in the rodeo world, left it to pursue a career in television. And then when I tried to come back into the Western community, I felt like a total outsider, a total You know, outcast, a total imposter, and so I built, uh, you know, I built a brand on it. So I just, I think I it's just that. nice to hear from people as fancy and fabulous as you that we all <laughs> that we all have those experiences. And man, though, what a cool like, what a cool experience! I just, I can only imagine what just getting to experience that must be like, and what a wonderful thing for you to make that mental flip, that change, and think, you know what. I'm going to just own this. I'm going to enjoy this. Cause I can only imagine
1: all the cool people you got to meet. I did get to meet a lot of cool people and we had a lot of fun and made tons of memories. Like those three weeks are, I would say, you know, best days of my life that, and I'm supposed to say also my wedding day. Right. Um, but, (laughs) but they were, they were amazing and I do believe it was because I gave my permission to just show up and be myself. And I mean, the best moments, obviously, were when I were were when I competed. Those are hands down the two best moments from the Olympics ever. But that story always stands out to me because it changed the experience of the Olympics as a whole.
0: Mm, so good. Okay. So now that we've established you're an Olympian, you're you're you know you're kind of a badass. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit, and I I actually was reading. Lindsey Branquino's companion pass that you did. And if you're not familiar with Lindsey Branquino's companion pass, it's this wonderful blog where wives of professional rodeo athletes or like their partners, their girlfriends or husbands or boyfriends or whoever sort of writes in about like what it's like, you know, to be a partner to a professional rodeo athlete. And Paige, I just, there was a, a part of it. I don't really necessarily know why I connected so deeply to it because I'm not an Olympian. I'm not even married. I can't even get a date, girl. <laughs> so I don't really know why I connected so so hard to this. But I want to talk about, you retire. And you said something in this companion past that I was like, "Ooh, I feel this. You said, I was uncomfortable being labeled Richmond champion's girlfriend or wife. And you said it was such an interesting first NFR experience because you're an Olympian. Like you're used to sort of being that, that I guess, center of attention. And then you talked about the drive home from Vegas with him when you had that, like, and I'm just like, I'm weeping reading this. Cause I'm like, I feel this. Like I feel this. <laughs> and you said, you sort of looked out the window and you, you wept because you realized like, you are a retired athlete. I just want you to talk a little bit about this experience because I think so many men and women, obviously for most of us, it's not, oh, we were Olympians, now we're retired, but for so many of us, we have something like this in our lives that we can relate to, whether it's giving up maybe a career to raise a family or whether it's, you know, giving up rodeo to pursue a TV career or whether it's a career change and you leave behind what you thought was your calling to do something else. Because I think so much of our identities are wrapped up in our career or maybe it's our kids or maybe it's our significant other. But I want you to just talk about this experience and sort of what you
1: took away from it and what you like what it brought out in you I guess we're talking about transition here right whether it's retirement from Olympic athlete to whatever I became next or like you said like it's transition it's a universal thing that we all experience and I was both unprepared for my transition and my retirement and I was a mess (laughs) I didn't handle it well I I really struggled because it was my identity and I didn't even realize that until it was gone and so I did struggle with with retirement and redefining who I was, and really, like air quotations, like adjusting to normal life outside of my my world of figure skating because I found them very to be very different. And so I struggled for a long time. And by the time I met Richmond, I was in a really good place and comfortable with who I was, and you know, pursuing my own thing. And that first NFR, I guess, shocked me a little bit because. One, it brought. It was so nice to be so connected to another human being who is chasing his dream, right? Mm-hmm. That is something that I could relate to at a very deep level. And it was so special to watch him do that. And I think that that's kind of what brought up some of these deeper feelings for me is it, it was kind of just like those a moment of reality where I was like, I will never feel that again. I will never feel what it's like to literally... Be vulnerable enough to risk it all, like on a dream, right? And maybe I will, but in a different scenario, not with flashing lights and a thousand people or a hundred thousand people watching me. And you know, like it's just a different pinnacle. Mm -hmm. And that was both hard and humbling for me to come to grips with that, as it was to suddenly have all my qualifications be I'm Richmond's girlfriend. That was, that was just strange to me. I not, I mean, it sounds conceited maybe or whatever, but it was just strange for that to be my, my best or most notable, maybe not best, most notable quality. Hi, this is Paige. This is Richmond champion's girlfriend. And I was so used to being known for my, my own things Mm -hmm. that I didn't even realize that that was a source of pride for me, I guess, until that moment. And I, I internally struggled with wanting to correct everyone and be like, hi, I'm Paige. Like, this is what I am actually good at, you know? I've now come to accept, like, I'm quite proud of being Richmond's wife. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, it it was a journey to get there, which sounds ridiculous, and I roll my eyes at myself. But that drive home from Texas, or to Texas, from the NFR, Richmond and I just had, like, a really honest, open-hearted conversation talking about, like, what it's like to love something that doesn't necessarily love you back, because sport doesn't. And to put yourself out there, In pursuit of these big things and for it to not always well really ever be in your control and talking about what it's like to leave all that behind you and to move forward in your life and it was i guess a sense in a sense it was a a form of grieving that i hadn't got to before and i'm happy that i got to share that with richmond i won't say that he cried like a baby but you know,
0: maybe he did. Just, you know, maybe he did, maybe he didn't use your imagination. We, you know, it was an emotional moment. Oh gosh. So I just, I just really, and part of the reason I wanted you to talk about that on the podcast and share that story is because I think so many of us can relate to that we, and maybe it's because, I don't know, I am a type A Enneagram three, like aggressive (laughs) psycho. So like I related to this because like, (laughs) I don't even have a, I don't even have a husband or a boyfriend. I'm like, oh yeah, that's going to be a real moment for me when he outshines me. Like I'm going to have to really come to terms with the fact that that's okay. But I just, you know, I think so many of us can relate to having those transition moments. And what I loved about it, I guess, Paige, is the fact that you talked about it, which almost was like giving the rest of us permission mission to have those feelings sometimes and to say like, look, like it's okay to sometimes, you know, feel lost or feel. And I, I totally related to that. Like they introduce you as Paige, you know, as, as Richmond champion's girlfriend. And it's like, that's when you, that's when you whip out the Olympic card, my friend, I'd have been like, actually, <laughs> I am an Olympian. You're like, I I don't know. You know how like the NFR, they have their like leather, their contestant jackets. Like yeah. you, you, you have your own like Olympian jacket made. I would have loved that for you. <laughs> and you like whip around, but I just, I just, that's why I wanted you to share that story. And then, so, so let's talk a little bit more I guess, about the transition because now you're doing all kinds of cool things, which I want you to share uh, about. Performance coaching, obviously, I started sort of, I sort of got in tune, I guess, when Lindsay, when you and your partner were talking about the podium performance. So like now you're sort of giving back. And I feel like what like a beautiful, like you had that hard moment of transitioning to like normal life. Like you're, you know, you're a retired athlete, like what's next? And it's like, Was it sort of, did it take time for you to sort of step into this? Or was it like an instant, oh, this is what I'm going to do. Here are the things I have to offer. Or did it take some time for you to go, oh yeah, like I can definitely change people's lives. Still sort of, you know,
1: embracing all of the athlete qualities that make me so special. I want to answer that. But first, I want to circle back something that you had said, you know, like that you related to that story and it, it hits you in the feels. And I think that that's one of the most important things about people showing up authentically and honestly, because the highlight reel, you know, like the going to the Olympics and all that stuff is motivating and inspiring and, you know, or aspiring. And that's what gets people excited about other people right? Like Mm -hmm. you follow the people that you aspire to be like, but it's the lows or the struggles or the heartache that people find relatable. And I think that in that relatability is where people can learn the most, right? Because Mm. they can see themselves in the story. And so that's why something that I really try to do and be in this world is to be authentic and honest, whether it be in a blog post or whether it be in a podcast or whether it just be in a conversation on the street. And so I would love to encourage more people to also you know share the highs absolutely but also know that it's okay to share truths even if they're not the highs so good yeah i think listening
0: to you as you were talking just now i think for me i think what the reason that i related so you know it's give up the rodeo thing. You know, that was the first 25 years of my life. That was my identity for 25 years. And I decided, okay, going to give that up. I'm going to pursue being a TV host and went from market to market, city to city, had the big fancy jobs in the big fancy cities. And I was miserable. And so I finally, and it was hard. And I think I was miserable for as long as I was, because I was so scared, Paige, to give up the full time at a network TV host gig, because I was like without a TV show, Courtney is nothing. Like she is not a TV host. And it's the number one question I get now. I say, oh, I'm a television host, public speaker. They're like, well, what show are you on? Well, and I still have those moments of, oh God, well, I'm not, I don't go into a station every day like I used to in freelance, you know? So I'm doing Western sports. I'm doing whatever, all the different things I want to do, but there's still a part of me that is like embarrassed because I'm like, gosh, I gave up my rodeo career and that's who I was for you know twenty five years. That was my identity. For ten years, I was a TV host. That was my identity. And it took me three or four years to really like. And fancy lady cowgirl sort of was the culmination of that. But I, I yeah, I was totally
1: lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's shifting from that external validation and what you're supposed to do to yes. internal validation and in what feels right and best to you. And that's hard. So I think it's amazing that you have created a career that is true to you. There, yeah. I said it. Well, thank I think you. I it's amazing.
0: Thank you. I think you're amazing. Okay, let's talk about performance coaching. I need you to performance coach me <laughs> right now. Um, I feel like you are a performance coach me. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about kind of all yeah. the different things that you offer and what you do. I was like cruising through your website and I was like, God, we just need to cancel the podcast. I just need to hire her to performance <laughs> coach me first because I need some performance coaching in my life. Um, but it sounds really cool what you do. So talk a little bit about what you
1: do. Sure. Um, so when I retired from sport, I guess this is a little bit of your previous question. Also, when I retired from sport, I didn't know what I wanted to do, um, but I had a few key things that I knew could guide me in the right direction. And so I tried a lot of stuff, but I knew in my heart that I wanted to give back. I wanted to work with other people because I had just fulfilled a dream, and it's the thing that I felt my existence was built around. It gave me such a vibrant and awesome life, and confidence, and all the things. And I had a team of people devoted to my success that were helping me to unlock these different areas of myself so I could be better every day. And I realized that other people don't have that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started getting into just different coaching courses. I went to grad school for coaching and, and really just began this journey of trying to figure out how I wanted to help people. And I loved the mental side of competing, you know, in figure skating, at least you can, you can win all the practices that you want. Meaning you can be the best, not under pressure, but it doesn't matter, right? You have to be the best in the moment that counts. And that was always fascinating to me to see those amazing people crumble under pressure and the other people step up under pressure. And I learned a lot about it in my sporting days. And I realized that other people are experiencing these very same things and they're struggling with themselves in the very same ways that I did, trying to be better every day, and they don't have anyone helping them. And so, all of that through a few different years, it led me to starting my own business as a high performance coach for entrepreneurs and small business owners. Because these are the people that care about what they're doing, they're the people that show up every dang day working on themselves and trying to take this dream and make it a reality. And as you know, a lot of stuff personal, mental, emotional comes up along that way, right? That's vulnerable chasing a dream. And I wanted to be the person that could help them take back control of that. I want to help them understand themselves so they can continuously be better. And I realized that my experience as an elite athlete and the schooling gave me a pretty unique way of doing that. And so when I partner with a client, I'm striving to help them. one, define their own success, I think that success means and looks differently to everyone. And two, create optimal performance habits for them. And so we look at three different aspects that I think tie into that. One's preparation. How are you getting ready? How are you goal setting? How are you setting yourself up for success? Two is execution. How are you walking the talk, right? How are you following through? Um, and dealing with all of the setbacks and pivots and mental garbage that comes up. And three is ownership. It's building up this like unshakable confidence in yourself, because as you and I both know, you have to have that inner compass that like my voice is the one that matters to continue to push past all of the reasons to give up and all of the naysayers. And I think with those three things, it's a pretty powerful trio to accomplish the biggest, boldest, and brightest life that you possibly could for yourself.
0: Mm, this is so good. So cool. And I think something you said that you acknowledged that's so important because I think in this day and age, it is so easy, especially with social media. And I am guilty of this. You know, I would look at someone like you who's you know, an Olympian and you're running your business. And like, I would just think, well, she obviously was working harder faster she was setting <laughs> bigger goals but what i think is so pivotal in what you just said is you know for example as you're training for the olympics i had a team i think for me personally and for so many entrepreneurs or business owners i'm just like and i have a really hard time letting go which maybe is like a A personality trait that also needs some high performance coaching, but I try to do everything myself. And I'm like, if I can't, if I can't do it all myself, then it's just not going to be successful. But I think it's so important for people to realize that the people we're idolizing, the companies, the businesses, the athletes, the rodeo stars, whatever it may be,
1: they have a team behind them. Like in sport, I had to learn this early on because I'll remind you. We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> we were, we were learning as we went, and so we quickly learned to reach out and to ask, you know, for help in these different areas as we got further along in our career. I had a trainer because I knew nothing about physical fitness. I had a masseuse because I knew nothing about how to recover. I had a physiotherapist to take care of injuries. I had nothing. I knew nothing about that. I had nutritionist. I had a sports psych. We had three choreographers. We had an assistant choreographer to help us in between the between moments. We had a, like our coach. We had a technical coach, like it was a big list of a team of people who are experts in their own little area that made us mm-hmm. excel all put together. And the same is true in the real world. If you want to be great, you need to start, start evaluating where you can be doing better and then ask for help. <laughs> ask for help. It's not, a, think, yeah. it's not rocket science, you know, no. it's, it's, it's seeing that as a strength, not as a weakness, because I think that people often are like, oh, I can do it myself like you said and if I can't that means I'm not good enough. And this is something that I say often. So you know, may have heard it before but I'm saying it again. It's that just because you can be better doesn't mean that you're not good enough in the moment. So like I'm a firm believer in owning how amazing and awesome you're doing and how great you are as a human at the level that you're at now, right? Be a badass at that level. Love yourself for what you're doing. And recognize you can be doing better. Recognize there's still growth. Recognize that you can push for more. And I think that together it's a superpower. But when it's they're separate, when you're focused on how you're not good enough because there's room for improvement, you're just going to tear yourself apart and keep yourself in a, as the smaller version of you. And so I would challenge people to start owning that they're great, they're good enough, and there's a an next level for you. Like there's still more to do. Ugh, there's always more
0: to do. I love this, Paige. I feel like this could be a six-hour podcast, but don't panic. I'm I'm going to I'm going to cut myself off. I'm going to share obviously your website, all of the things in the notes to this podcast, so that people can find you. Um, from what I've read on your website, like it's a very, it's sort of, it's sort of customizable depending on the person's needs and like what what they're looking for. Is that right? Is that a correct
1: assumption? It's like the standard model is usually a six month commitment, um, but I, I really try to, to take people through my process in a unique way to them because I don't believe in like, oh, these seven simple steps and mm-hmm. you're going to achieve this because every person is different. Every person's coming into a coaching relationship, at a different point in their life. Um, and I want to meet people where they're at and, and help them on their journey rather than bringing them into my process. Cause I just think that's a load of baloney, a load of baloney.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay. I have a few more questions. These are just like rapid fire, just like first answer that comes wow. to mind. I love to just like do these at the end. Cause you just never, know. Okay. What, you never know what people are going to say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you have a, do you have a favorite book, whether it's like a, a
1: performance type book or just like a, a, a good romantic, like, do you have a favorite book? Yes, The Happiness Advantage. It's a bit of a nerdy book, but um it's the book that sparked me down this whole path um and this new like outlook on life of how I want to work with people. So it's called the Happiness Advantage. If you're not a reader, there's also a TED talk. So if you want to go that route, go that (laughs) route.
0: I love this. I'm gonna check out one or the other, or maybe both, depending (laughs) on my mood. Okay. Favorite Olympic sport
1: other than figure skating. Do you have one that you love? Oh, gosh. <clears throat> so many. I mean, I'm Canadian, so I love hockey with the Olympics. Um, Summer Olympics, I love watching synchronized diving. I also really like gymnastics. I mean, oh yeah, I could, I could watch any Olympic sport because, you know, I relate and admire those athletes. I love it. I agree. I watch everything, even the ones I don't even have a clue
0: what's happening. Um, <laughs> do, you have a, do you have a go-to like rodeo on the road? You get to go with Richmond. Do you ever go to snack, like a rodeo snack? A rodeo snack. Yeah, like um, you're, you're in the truck. You guys are, you know, you're driving to the next rodeo.
1: Yeah, I, I enjoy almonds and beef jerky um, or like a banana or apple from the convenience store. But you got to be careful with those because sometimes those apples will let you down, you know? <laughs> those are the most responsible <laughs> ro- snacks I've ever... I'm like,
0: of course, She's an, she is a professional athlete. Almonds, beef jerky, all healthy. I love this journey for you. Um... So funny. Okay. Have you ever,
1: or would you ever ride a bareback horse? I've never ridden a bareback horse. And I think my body is far too gone, um, to, to do that. I did ride a a bull after the Olympics. I always said I wanted to do that. My dad was a bull rider. And so I did get on too. Oh, juicy. I I love that. And you live to tell (laughs) the tale. (laughs) I did not do very well. Um, but it happened. So you know what? I'm proud of it. <laughs> it. Yeah.
0: Add that to your letter jacket girl. Cause that's impressive. I, I love that. Do you have a podcast that you listen to regularly or, or I don't know, like a Ted talk or something that you, that you enjoy
1: listening to? I do. I do love Ted talks. <clears throat> that's something that I'll tune into whether it's like, as I'm driving, I'll just put one on or when I'm sitting at home doing odd jobs. And as for podcasts, I tend to jump around a lot. I, I feel just, that. You know. Whatever the moment is feeling like for me, I'll just find a podcast, dive into it. I love that, I love that. It's, um, this has been just so much fun and you are just
0: like such a pleasure and such a breath of fresh air and I'm just excited to share you with my audience. So Paige, thank you so much for joining the Calgary Problems Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. You are an excellent host and I really enjoyed chatting with you. Ah, oh, thank you, my friend.